And that's really my message to everybody is just, hey, I don't want to be the typical. I want to be able to do different things. Like the bento boxes, who's done bento in barbecue? Nobody, right? And that was just simply a dinner that I had with a gentleman that owns a sushi restaurant that told me that when he got rid of the bento boxes, he lost a bunch of sales. And that day I ordered 30 bento boxes. And the next day we put them on the menu and they become a success. Welcome to Uncooked, a podcast serving up raw insights for marketers as we hear the unfiltered truth from industry experts, brands, and the target audiences we serve in their own words. I'm your host, Jacqueline Lieberman, and today I'm Uncooked as my guest, Thomas Ward. He's the founder of Pig Floyd's Urban Barbecue located in Orlando, Florida. Thomas's entrepreneurial story is anything but traditional, which is why I loved having him. From learning his cooking skills on YouTube to creating menus and spaces that really transcend the usual restaurant experience. He's a quintessential risk taker and his fresh take on business is truly infectious. And I got to actually spend time talking about like one of my favorite topics, which is barbecue. So there's that. Lots to get to. So let's dig in. I want to introduce you to my audience and saying that you are the owner of an urban barbecue place in Orlando, Florida called Pig Floyd's. Awesome name. I want to get to that. Offering beautifully cooked brisket, pulled pork, basically any other mouthwatering item that I definitely also want to get into your menu items because they are a bit unique versus what I would probably call traditional barbecue. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you being interested in even considering me to be on your phone. <laughs> well, I mean, full disclosure, I am a barbecue nerd in my own right, in my off time. And anybody who knows me knows this. So I do have a little bit of a problem, but you know, that's for probably another podcast. Um, <laughs> that's a whole conversation. Yeah. yeah, completely. Before we get into the restaurant, take me back. I want to get into your barbecue backstory a little bit. I need to know this backstory. I want to know where were you the first time you had barbecue that you can remember? What was it that you were eating? Who was around you? Just give me a little bit of a picture of little Thomas having his first barbecue experience whenever that was. So the funny thing is, I don't consider it to be necessarily like an American barbecue experience because I'm originally from Puerto Rico. Okay. But my father, when I was very young, used to distribute chicken. He was the largest chicken distributor in Puerto Rico before he went into ice cream distribution. So I had chicken probably cooked in every single way that you can cook chicken. <laughs> um, I probably grew. I'm six eight. I grew because of that, because of everything, all the steroids yeah. that they pumped back then. So chicken for me was pretty much an everyday dish. But what we do have in Puerto Rico, we're very well known for doing great pork and doing whole hog. And I think that experience when I was a child, it was something that was typically traditional more during Christmas time. So I can remember back to those days to having pork that way. Um, brisket, not so much. I think brisket, I learned when I decided to get into barbecue, which mm. by the way, this is totally a mistake. I love that. I went into barbecue because at that point I had already done a food truck and then I had done another restaurant in Puerto Rico. And then when I came back to the States, I asked somebody, Hey, what do you think I should do? And, and that person told me, I think you should do barbecue. Like there's no other really 
at that time it was four rivers that was really hitting on all cylinders, but they didn't really have any competition. So I decided that I was going to be part of that. So food was in your blood in some capacity. Then when you kind of got to a place where you were asking around of like, I should do something, what should I do? Someone says, hey, you should get into barbecue. There's really only one game in town. And you decided to be like, all right, I could do that. So Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that story there of you found your space. What were you looking for? There's a lot involved, obviously, with the equipment that you need and the space. So tell me about what you learned there. Originally, when I started with the idea of just doing a restaurant back here in Orlando, there was a restaurant that was for sale and it was a barbecue restaurant. So we went to look at it and the numbers didn't mix. So then there was a Turkish cuisine restaurant that was for sale in the area that we're in. And I remember that I paid $100,000 for that restaurant. Was it worth a hundred? It wasn't. Like to this day, there's people that say you're crazy, but it was the only way that I could get into mills at that point. So then obviously at that point, I had gone into barbecue. I had done some research. I had learned a lot of my stuff through YouTube, through Franklin Barbecue's show that he had through PBS. Mm-hmm. That was really informative. And I bought like a really terrible smoker at Home Depot. The first thing that I made was a turkey oh, wow. uh, with my mom for Thanksgiving, which was the Ambitious. worst timing. Yeah, very ambitious, but they had another turkey as background, like just in case. Yeah, that's good. But I put so much butter on mine that I think it eventually became officially a butterball. <laughs> so you didn't dry it out. I didn't dry it out. That's pretty good. Yeah, it was funny though, because I got up super early. We super late. We probably ate that night at eight o'clock and my turkey was done at 12. So I was like, oh, no, I got to keep it moist till 8 o'clock at night. So I just kept putting butter, you know, and um, that was, yeah, that was my way of just, I have to keep this thing alive. And and butter was my help. Yeah, the original butter ball. Here we go. The original butter ball. It was so much butter fat, but it was delicious. Uh, (laughs) But the funny thing is with that little smoker that I tried, It was terrible, but I learned what not to do. And then the other thing is trying to figure out that I was doing barbecue was a thing that I had to just start asking around. How are people doing it and what has worked or not worked? So the lucky thing for us is that we're in Orlando and this is home to Darden, the largest restaurant company in the world. So I have a friend that I told him I was going on barbecue. Then he tells me that he knows the guy that started Smoky Bones, which was a darting concept. So I went to talk to him and I asked him a bunch of questions. And then I came about at that point to buy a Southern Pride smoker because that's what becomes more reliable in the way that I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. So I went bought that smoker. Obviously, through asking and through research. And it's not like now that, you know, we're doing pizza now with our new concept, Pizza. And there is so much stuff on YouTube to learn that it's kind of like, I don't need to do any research on Google. I just put, you know, pizza and you see thousands and thousands of just videos with all the information that you want. Yeah. So I think it's a lot easier to do it even now. And 
it's a lot different than what it was for me back in 2013. This starts out as an interesting entrepreneurial story in that it's more about having passion for opportunity versus being passionate about food per se. Thomas sees the opportunity in the food space really because that's where his familial experiences are. But he didn't grow up eating barbecue, nor did he have any culinary training other than the University of YouTube. So the insight here is, if you have this little voice nagging at you with a business idea, you're never going to know until you go for it. And with technology on our side, there's really no better time to get something off the ground with all of the free resources at our fingertips. I'm pretty sure Gary Vee talks about this every other day, but that's just me. So now you have a little intel, some YouTube, some people that you're talking to. Now talk to me about your first week in business at Pig Floyd. It's like, who's around you and your staff? Was it crazy? Did you have a line out the door? Did that happen later? Was it crickets and you had that pit in your stomach? Tell me about all that. I think the most important thing that we have to figure out is that not only is it about the recipes, it's also about the marketing, right? And building a brand takes time. And obviously, we've been in business eight years. And I'll tell you that now my brand is taken off finally. But for many years, it was tough to just build. And a lot of people don't understand that because they think that it's just build a brand and everybody will come. And then your brand now is a household name. And I don't think that works that way. I think you have to build that brand equity. So I did get very good advisors at that time to build the brand and the menu and the logo and all that. But More importantly, when we opened, and even the day that we opened, September 11, 2014, terrible choice of day, because now we can't even celebrate our anniversary. But I have to tell you that it's pretty important because I was out of money. (laughs) So it was like, we have to open these doors no matter what. Yeah. So I was like, guys, we're opening today. I don't know how this is going to go. Yeah. But we need the money. We need the cash flow. We were running out of food pretty much every night. And we had to even close one Sunday because we were just trying to catch up and grab a hold of what was going on. You were running out of food, just to clarify, because you had a huge amount of people, not because you were misordering. Yeah, not misordering. I think in, in barbecue, a lot of people think that it's because you're not knowing what to order. But at the end of the day, you kind of really have to build a base of knowing what you typically sell. We have full control of that now because we measure that and we look at it on a daily basis. Right. That's how we control our food costs. But like in Texas, which I think barbecue is almost a religion, it looks way different. They just make a bunch of food and usually sell out by 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Right. That doesn't work here. If you run out of food at 8 o'clock here, you're like, you are being scolded and told that you don't know how to run a restaurant. So. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's very different here than it is, I think, in Texas. People Why do you are, think that is? They're not used to it. You know, I don't see long lines in many restaurants here. In Texas, you see that all the time. It's the popularity, I guess, of the food over there. It, it gets to different stages because I don't remember seeing, other than Four Rivers at that time, long lines where people were waiting four or five hours. Yeah. I don't see that here. You know what I mean? What kind of weights do you typically have over there now? Uh, you might wait in line 20 minutes. 
I mean, it depends, right? There still could be a line, basically, to your point, though. Oh, yeah. There's still a line. It's not the same as it is. If we go now to Texas, we won't get a line in Terry Blacks, but you'll get a line for five hours in Franklin's. Yeah. Or La Barbecue and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's obviously places that are super famous and, and we're well known. I think we're still small. We're one location now and we have our second location that's going to have a drive through. I think the brand will keep evolving. Yeah. Big brands typically obviously become household names and that's when sales go through the roof and people just recognize the brand. And that's where yeah. we're still not at. Well, you mentioned before something that I don't often hear people in the food space talk about, which is brand equity and building brand equity. Tell me a little bit about how did you build Pig Floyd's brand equity at the beginning? I spent a lot of time back then. It was reviews. You got Google. Facebook at that time was still pretty important. And then we had the big player that was coming in there was Yelp. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to do strides into getting into the market and seeing how they could become a big company. So Yelp became, they had the Yelp elites and it became a huge thing. So I built the brand basically by doing what I knew best, which was social media for me was just put everything you're thinking about and share your life with people. <laughs> was that and people natural? Love that. Was that yes, natural was for natural. you to do? Okay. Yeah, it was natural. And the other thing that I think I did really well, and I was just on it, is basically checking every review to the point where people didn't like food, I would get in my car and go to their house with me. And I still do it sometimes if the review is terrible. Without mentioning names, I need to hear this example. So you read a review, it says what, what did you bring over? And that was the reaction. I would basically, as soon as I saw the review, write back within five minutes. Okay. And, and then private message. Hey, I'm the owner of Pick Floyd's. I'm sorry about your experience. Your brisket was dry. Please send me an address and I will get in my car right now and bring you brisket home. Or if it was a to-go order, like you didn't like the fries, I'll bring you fries right now. I would stop at nothing to make sure that people recognize that the food quality was the best and we wanted to keep that high standard. Yeah. I think a lot of people forget about that sometimes throughout the years because volume is volume and oh, it's okay. Everything's fine. But I still, to this day, like I had lunch at the restaurant and I was like, guys, come on. Like, I was bitching about the pork. You know, I didn't like what they were doing. Mm -hmm. They know that we have high standards with that. Fix it right now. But that's the kind of battle that we have on a daily basis. Oh, for sure. And plus the fact that people could be fickle anyway. But I can't let you off the hook. I need to understand when you drove up to someone's house and rang their bell with mm -hmm. new fries or new brisket. I need to know what happened. They opened the door and they couldn't believe it. They thought it was a joke that the owner of the restaurant would show up their house with food. Like, but it went further. It, it built the brand. It built the fact that they knew what my standards were. Yep. Throughout the years, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars renewing the store pretty much every two years, changing the paint, doing stuff to it. Like just right now, I'm spending a bunch of money doing the outside, covering it up and putting fans and all that. And now I'm redoing the parking. 
So like those type of things are really important and also building the brand because right. people really recognize those type of investments in your business. I think a lot of people in the restaurant business go into it and then they forget. They just want to get all the cash that they can out of the business. I'm really just looking at it in a very long term and multiple store kind of deal. So yeah. for me, it's like, I have to keep reinvesting in the brand. I have to keep evolving with the brand. And obviously just trying to figure out what really works in the market now. To build brand equity, the main ingredient is time. Thomas mentioned after eight years, he's just now feeling Pig Floyd's is getting some traction. He started building his equity by sharing his startup journey with people in social and really having them feel connected to the process. For most, there are no shortcuts. It's typically a steady stream of effort to perfect your product and service and combine that with placing a few marketing bets until you know what really works for your audience. Another component of brand equity is understanding your brand's character, meaning what does your brand stand for or what is it against? For Pig Floyd, it seems to be setting high quality standards, which may result in Thomas showing up at a customer's door with new brisket after reading a bad review. I mean, that is intense customer service, but it really highlights Thomas's level of commitment. And it's certainly memorable. It's a memorable act on behalf of the brand because the next time that person who goes back and is standing in line for 20 minutes, guess what? That line is going to go a little bit faster. I mean, after COVID, you know how much restaurants probably have changed. So you have to just continue. I mean, COVID was the best example of it. We went from overnight closing a restaurant and having to deliver food to people's houses. I went as far as Jacksonville, Miami, Tampa, wherever I could go to just spread the gospel. Uh, (laughs) So I was going to ask you about COVID in terms of how did you survive all of that? So was it taking online orders? Did you already have that infrastructure set up? No, I didn't have online ordering. I had only takeout over the phone. Okay. I did have a catering department, which helped a lot. Yeah. And I had a van. So like what we did is we decided to go doing family meal tours over the different cities in Orlando. And we decided to take people to their meals so that four of them could Smart. eat. Yeah. And it worked out really great. People loved it. But what I did do is close Nona right away so that we wouldn't have two stores just bleeding yeah. cash. So we controlled that really quick. And then Mills, people would still come and order takeout from the store. So they were very supportive. But really what helped a lot was those tours. And the fact that our staff worked their asses off to just keep this thing running. I mean, I can't take responsibility for that. I think everybody that works with us, that's still with us, they put everything on the line. So I have to thank them for that. How did you retain the people that you did retain? And how did you find the right people to surround yourself to get and keep your business afloat during that time? I think I've been a pretty fair boss over the years, but I have to be honest, during COVID, I think I suffered a shift. And my shift was that I wasn't being a good leader. I was just running a restaurant. And what I realized is because I had to close that store, I had to introspectively look and see if I want to continue in this business and I want to grow, 
I got to shift my mentality to not be an owner, but be a leader. And more and more, I've worked and spent money on just becoming a very good leader and helping my management become better leaders themselves. I've spent money in bringing in a coach. And that coach was meeting with us every Sunday so that we can get through some of the things that were really just killing the relationship amongst management, which then translated down to our staff. Yeah. So I think the shift happened where I decided that I was going to become really good at just trying to be a leader, trying to be there for the staff, and just at the same time, having them understand that I can't be involved in everyday operations if you guys want to grow. And they were all asking for growth because I think growth brings a lot of excitement and opportunity. So for me, it was just now I got to become this leader that's going out there looking for real estate, looking for expansion, looking for money, looking for all these things that really take up a lot of time. Right. At the same time, trying to make sure that they were doing a really good job to keep the brand afloat. But in that term, I don't want to say that I disagree to a certain degree that there's a problem, but I just think that a lot of people have given up in the sense of, hey, let's go back to the fact that we have people that maybe, you know, one of the things that I tell my management staff is just, obviously, we're in a business that's kind of transient. People don't want to stay with us forever. They don't want to necessarily work at a restaurant for the rest of their life. Mm. So why don't we act in the best practices? to keep them with us as long as we can. But at the same time, they come out of here learning something that they can say, hey, I learned something working for Pig Floyds that I appreciate the management staff and the leadership at that company. And they developed me with anything, like with now I'm friendlier because I worked at Pig Floyds or now I know how to do this or that. I changed my mentality. I wasn't like that before. Uh, I made plenty of mistakes, obviously. Like anything you could do in the restaurant business, you kind of, Sometimes you're a hothead with some of the stuff that goes on because, I mean, there's just some things that are so basic in your head that you're like, wow, I can't believe we're messing that up. But I mean, it is what it is, right? It's just part of the business. Right. No, I think that's important. It sounds like one of the attributing factors to your success is that you know better to reinvest into your staff, into the four walls. And as you said, like just making sure that those four walls are the best looking that they could be. And now you're looking at the parking lot and looking at the full experience and the full experience is every single one of those things, not just Mm. the food. No, the food is the easiest part. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's the easiest part because like if the food is good and then you have all these other factors that are really assisting you on that. It makes it easy because the staff can sell a product that's really good. Yeah. Well, speaking of really good product, I'm just going to read for the listeners here, just talking about like some of your items. So you have your plain Jane pulled pork, oak wood smoked pulled pork topped with apple fennel slaw with your choice of sauce on a sweet roll. You have your oak wood smoked brisket. You have something I can't pronounce, but it sounds awesome. What's the number four? The B-A-N-H-M-I? Bon me. Thank you. So this one has the pulled pork, char-grilled chopped chicken thighs, or deep-fried pork belly with lucky dragon sauce, pickled vegetables, jalapeno, ginger aioli on a toasted baguette. 
And I'm looking at that. And then you also have bento boxes. So you have traditional fare, but it does have a spin on it. So tell me about this spin on the food that you've been creating here. I'm basically known as that. I'm a spin guy. I spin it the way that I see it. I mean, right now, our restaurant that we're doing, Pizza, it's called an Italianish joint. So it's not really Italian. We're just like, Italian-ish. Ish, you know? I think the most important thing is that we don't want to be stuck in a box. And I think a lot of people like to stick people in a box. Like, oh, you're a barbecue joint. So the expectation then becomes, that's what I expect. I'm going to get Sweet Baby Ray's. This is the flavor profile I'm going to get from this brisket. Right. And that's not necessarily what we want because that's what everybody does. Mm-hmm. So we're just trying to run away from what everybody does. And that's really my message to everybody is just, hey, I don't want to be the typical. I want to be able to do different things like the bento boxes. Who's done bento and barbecue? Nobody. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was just simply a dinner that I had with a gentleman that owns a sushi restaurant that told me that when he got rid of the bento boxes, he lost a bunch of sales. And that day I ordered 30 bento boxes. And the next day we put them on the menu and they become a success. See, So I'm still in the evolution of the brand. It's still how we're going to go moving forward. Mm -hmm. And Pink Floyd's that I'm doing right now with a drive-thru, we're going to take away all our taco options and the bento boxes, and we're going into wok bowls. So I want woks, and now we're going to do rice and noodles with curry and with brisket and with all these things that people haven't done. So we're just taking risks. I'm a risky guy, and I like to be risky in the menu. Uh, Because I think as you develop the brand, you don't become known for doing traditional things. You become known for doing off the rocker things, right? Yeah. I want to jump in here to highlight a few important points. Thomas talked about his mindset shift from being an owner to a leader. I think that's such a powerful pivot. Because when business owners take a beat from the day-to-day chaos and they reinvest their time and energy into their people, that's number one, how good talent is retained, but it's also how businesses can ultimately scale. Another foundational piece of Thomas's story is taking risks in business and the food he creates. His basic philosophy seems to be about just finding the white space. There weren't many barbecue restaurants in his area, so he opened one. Barbecue bento boxes? Why not? No one else is doing that, so Pig Floyd's will. We've learned from neuromarketer and previous podcast guest, Prince Guman, that our brains are really attracted to novelty. And the safe way to roll out something new is to anchor it in the familiar. So smoked barbecue in a bento box is really the perfect example. Next up, we're going to hear Thomas talk about his new venture to turn pizza and traditional Italian fare on its head. So tell me about Pigza then. Is that open? Is it opening? What's happening? Yeah, it's opening February 1st. We've been in permitting for 24 months. It's been challenging to say the least. But yeah, February 1st, we've now, I think we've done about 17 different menus. When we finish this, I'm tasting another set of pizza and finalizing our decision in the direction that we're going with the pizza so that now we can finish the rest of the menu. But it's been a really interesting process because obviously not only have I 
change the use of this building that we're going into. It was originally the building that I had leased for Pig Floyd. Oh. Nine years ago, I went to look at this building. I signed a lease. And unfortunately, that day, the owner decided that she was going to go with somebody else because they had a longstanding relationship. I was mad at that time, but now the new owners of the building, we have a great relationship. But back then, I wasn't very happy that they took away my lot. But it's just bittersweet that it comes back to, yeah. you know, eight years later, I get to rent that same location for another concept. And I guess there was some tenacity there, just kept going and wanting that specific lot. Yeah, I love that. So that opens February 1st. You're in the middle of some pizza tastings, which I feel that's an enviable position to be in as a job. But anyway, sometimes it's not, to be honest with you. I think I've had so much pizza that you don't know the difference in flavor now. Like yeah, we were talking yeah. about that earlier. It gets to a point where you're just like, it all tastes the same. Yeah. But we're doing some interesting stuff. We're smoking pepperoni. We're going to do brisket lasagna. We're going to bring in smoked spaghetti and meatballs. And doing some cool stuff that hasn't been done, I think maybe it has, maybe it hasn't, but I haven't seen it, at least locally, yeah. where people are giving more interest to not only the dough, but to the mm -hmm. other things that I think are very important. Like the pepperoni, the pepperoni pizza is, I've tried even smoking the dough to see if it got some smoke and it tasted different. Yeah. So, Did it? Uh, no. No. It wasn't worth it. Yeah. That was a mess. Uh, it was preferably just to try to smoke the pepperoni and see that that worked. But I think it's been a great experience and learning about pizza now. What came out in Netflix two days ago, I bet a lot of people are very excited. Oh, Chef Table, table? With cool. the, Yeah, with the pizza. So I think people are understanding that pizza has become a different vessel than what it was before. And I love the fact that I'm coming into the business right when it's at the popularity. That's so Sometimes, great. So is Pizza at that location, you're going to have a whole new smoker set up down there too? I'm a smoker. This will be my first time into a full bar situation. Luckily, I've never done full liquor. And it's also going to be my first full service restaurant. So I'm learning a lot about the full service model and how training changes. But for me, it's all about learning. When you say full service, you mean like table service versus going out to a counter, ordering, that kind of thing? Correct. Yeah. Table service, not the fast casual environment, not mm -hmm. pay before you get your order kind of deal. This is now, it brings a different level of complexity, but I actually enjoy it because now as I shifted my leadership, I've also shifted in knowing that we have to learn how to sell. And yeah. I think a lot of people don't spend that time training the staff to teach them how to sell. They're just mm -hmm. like, your server, it works. For us, it won't work. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's not how we run things. I want to control the dialogue that you have. So, like, we're coming up even with scripts that will help people as yeah, they smart. go. Yeah. Because I think that's very important. They are salespeople and yeah. we want to help them do the best job that they can at giving the guests a great experience. Yeah, for sure. So now that you have eight plus years under your belt, I mean, just with this concept that you've been talking about and then previous years, what's really surprised you during this entrepreneurial journey that you've been on so far? I think what's really surprised me is just how much time it's taken me to be able to develop into, I guess, a multiple outlet corporation. It's just taken me so long to open restaurants and 
the mistakes that I've made and all that, you wonder how these other companies just do it so quickly. Mm, and yeah. It always becomes a thing with capital. If they yeah. have a lot of capital, it really cures a lot of the problems that they have. I haven't had that luck till recently. Right. And right. that's been the biggest challenge, understanding that. Because again, I have a lot of mentors and every time it's like, why aren't you growing? Why aren't you growing? I'm like, it's, it's not as easy as it looks. I've made a mistake already. I've grown and Lake Nona for me was a learning experience. I, mm-hmm. I, that's what I call it now. We were doing okay, but when COVID hit, it just shifted that whole scenario around. And yeah. how do I get out of it alive? I put guarantees and I took a lot of risks. So it's been a very good learning experience. But what's been great about it is just the fact that I've been able to turn it around and now kept expanding. And now the expansion looks very different than what it looked back then. Yeah. I could see that. That's fair. You also have to give yourself a break. Uh, No one expected a global pandemic to last almost two years and counting. So uh, so give yourself a little bit of slack. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your own podcast. It's called Beyond the Smoke. And I've already been digging into it. I think it's great. But what I did notice, which was surprising, is that it's not totally about food. You've had the mayor on of Orlando. You've had other entrepreneurs. You've had serious business people from Disney. So just talk to me a little bit about, you know, why was it important for you to create that platform for yourself and Pig Floyd's? I don't want to be considered only an entrepreneur in the food business. I really like building companies and building opportunities. I mean, right now I'm looking at a plumbing company. I'm looking at helping my brother-in-law with his construction company. I'm looking at I want to buy a tortilla production facility. So I want to look into other things because I don't want to be only in the restaurant segment. I think as an entrepreneur, you got to be kind of a rounded individual. And the biggest thing that I always say is that the restaurant business for us is we're really just a labor company Mm -hmm. because our biggest concern is dealing with people. And I think that's the entrepreneurial world. I mean, companies typically run the way that their ownership or management are, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And we've had pretty good success at doing it in the restaurant segment, which is a very hard segment to be in. So how do you translate that culture into other businesses? And that's my thing. Like, how do we get into it? Like right now, we're trying to figure out what works for the plumbing business. And how do we become creative in that segment? Because Mm -hmm. I just think that somebody just puts a name on a plumbing company and goes, yeah, we could service, but you got to structure that. There's got to be a calling center. How do you create the centrifuge? Yeah. How do you control all that? So it's, it's just fun for me. And that's why I like to interview a lot of different people. One of my greatest interviews, I think, was John Morgan from Morgan & Morgan. He owns one of the largest law firms in the United States. But just understanding the way that he's able to develop that business and that centrifuge, is, it's simply amazing. And then you ask yourself, why can I do it? Yeah. So is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have? No, I think your podcast is great in bringing in the brand element, which I think it's the important part that people really need to figure out that it's not only about the food. A lot of people really focus on the food. You got to make it feel like it's a whole thing. Right now, there's a gentleman that I've been friends with for the last 11 years, and he has his own brand of clothing. His name is Biggie. He does clothing with food. 
So it's yeah. pretty cool. So I told him like, hey man, why don't you come and collab with me? Because I have a problem that I don't have merchandise. Yeah. And you've already been down that list of problems with the merchandise. Right. So he's like, wow, I didn't even think about that. And I'm like, yeah, I have a problem. I don't have somebody to help me out with. Come help me. And we're looking and doing a collaboration in that sense. So I like to meet people. I like to understand them and see how their business can actually help me and how I can help their business. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I'm not going to get rich by myself. you know. And I want everybody that's around me to also enjoy because... I mean, you can take money home and, and that's great. But at the end of the day, like, if you don't get to enjoy the whole process, then why are you doing? Yeah, exactly. What the hell are you doing? I'll ask you one last question. And I always ask my guests because I get such great answers, which is write the headline five years from now in a glowing feature story, either about Pig Floyd's or about Thomas Ward. I would tell you that my headline, it's really funny. So I just started a company that's probably going to all my companies. It's called Pig Row Records. Pig Row uh, Records? Yeah, Pig Row Records. Love it. Um, yeah, so we're just trying to have fun with that. But if I saw a headline five years from now, just I would like that description of being the underdog and growing a company from zero to 30, 50 restaurants. I don't know how long that's going to take me, but. It might not be five years. It might be 10, but yeah, just growing the amount of units and growing the volume and all that. That's really what I would like the headline to read and that it's a great company to work for. That's great. At the same time, innovative and something different in the restaurant business, which I think it's just been antiquated and not changed. So I don't know if that's a little bit long headline. No, I get it. Don't worry. Don't worry. I get the gist. Well, I thank you. It's been a personal pleasure to have you and to talk about barbecue. I look forward to visiting Orlando. First, I'm going to go to your place and then I'm going to go to Gideon's and then I'm just going to rub my belly and maybe then I'll have like pizza for like a late dinner and I'm just going to eat my way through Orlando. By that time, I should have also Peggy Floyd's brunchinette. So I have a breakfast. Yeah, you'll have everything cooked. Yeah, exactly. So I'll just literally eat my way through the city and I'll go. It's going to be great. Diet aside. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for having me. Okay, listeners, that wraps up my conversation with Thomas Ward, founder of Pig Floyd's Urban Barbecue. This is a quintessential story about entrepreneurship and the importance of brand building. I find Thomas's story inspirational personally because it's rooted in grit creativity, and playing the long game. To me, learning his culinary skills from YouTube is an example of pure grit. It would have been really easy for him to be discouraged by other professionals out there who either had barbecue in their blood or was a trained chef. He just went for it and he didn't look back. And I think the flip side to grit is his vulnerability. Acknowledging mistakes and learning from them is really how founders can evolve from owners to leaders. As for creativity, it's evident that Pig Floyd's cannot be boxed in. From his twist on the name, the food, his approach to expansion, it really shows Thomas and his staff, they're just committed to offering people something truly unique. Experimenting with 17 different menus for his new Italian-ish restaurant is a great example of creating your zag when everyone else is zigging. As author of the book Zag and marketer Marty Neumeier famously wrote, if you're not zagging, you're lagging. And finally, this is a story of an entrepreneur playing the long game. Thomas realized that investing in his people was equally as important as the menu. 
He also knew the value of building brand equity early on, which started with the food, but extended to every detail of the Pig Floyd experience. From the fresh paint on the walls, to parking, to fans and heaters, the environment you create is a statement about your commitment and your brand. And I think the best entrepreneurial lesson that we can learn from Thomas is really being open to possibilities. His raw truth is rooted in building opportunity. Having that singular mission allows Thomas to pivot from barbecue into business spaces with authority. That's really playing the long game. You can learn more about Thomas and Pig Floyds at pigfloyds.com and there's links in the show notes. This has been an episode of Uncooked. I'm Jacqueline Lieberman, founder and chief strategist at Brand Crudo, a marketing consultancy. If you want to discuss how your company can find differentiation and activate your raw truth in marketing, this is what I do every day. You can find my contact info on brandcrudo.com or the show notes. Thanks so much for listening.